I titled this morning's message, the Christmas message, The Word Became Flesh. Friends, that is what it is all about. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen? Amen. We're going to turn to John this morning. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And let's look at the... It's a little bit different than what we would typically use from Luke because Luke goes through all the details of the angel appearing to Mary or speaking to Mary and Joseph's vision and how they had to go to Bethlehem and the baby in the manger. John's version is a little different. But it says the Word became flesh. So let's look and see how John portrays the coming of Christ to the world. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Amen? And to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and and truth. My friends, that is the good news, that he is full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, and he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Amen. And may God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do praise You and thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You that You were willing to become flesh, to take on flesh, to become one of us. Lord, to do what we could not do on our own. We thank You, Lord, for... Your word declares what you have done for us. And Lord, as I said earlier, we should celebrate every day. Celebrate every day that you came to earth. That you came to save men from their sins. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. And may your spirit be present today. And may your truth be proclaimed. And Lord, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said, I know that Luke's a little bit different. A little bit more detailed. You know, Luke did pay a lot of attention to detail. But it's good to look at it through the eyes of one of the other apostles. Look at it through John, the way he declared it. And I believe that what John spoke is very important. Very important that we understand. So let's look at the very beginning of our passage. It says in the very beginning that in the beginning was the Word. 
and the Word was with God. This same terminology is used in Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning. And in both Genesis and John, it clearly means before the creation of the world. In the beginning is even before the creation, before the world was formed. So we believe, and I believe that we all believe and understand, that God is infinite, that God is divine, that God existed before creation, right? Before He formed the earth and made the trees and the animals and stars and all those things, He existed. That was not the beginning of God. The last part of Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 5 says, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, for He lives from everlasting to everlasting. Then they prayed, May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above and blessed and praised. You know, from everlasting to everlasting, having no beginning and no end, he is eternal past. He is present and eternal future. He is the eternal God. And you know, but when we describe everlasting life, you know, how do we define everlasting life? We, we define it, we think, of, we think of heaven. We think of the things that we read about and think that we're going to enjoy in heaven. We think of the new Jerusalem, how we'll be able to win and out of the city. We think of the streets of gold and the, the trees on each side of the the river that comes from the throne. We envision that. We envision days without end, right? We envision life with no end. We envision a life with a glorified body, not these old aching, painful bodies, but we envision a new glorified body in living day after day after day and on and on and on. I think we can a little bit grasp that and wrap our minds around that, can't we? Because we just think, well, we will not die. But it's a little bit more difficult to think of everlasting past. It's a little bit tougher to wrap our minds around that. Because when we think of things that we know, they all had a beginning, right? I mean, we look at creation. We think, well, it had a beginning. God formed the earth, made everything that we see. When we think of our lives, we had a beginning, right? My began August the 2nd, 1960. Karen's began February the 8th, 1960. We have a beginning. We think of when we started this church. It had a beginning. It's a little bit harder to grasp eternal past. Kids will ask, well, alright, if God made everything, who made God? Well, when did, when did God come into existence? He didn't. He always was. Can you wrap your brain around that? Maybe a little bit, right? i got hands going like this. But we just have to believe by faith that He is eternal past. Eternal. From everlasting to everlasting. No beginning. I cannot give you a better explanation than that. But it's faith, friends. It's by faith that we believe. John's use of the word, word, can make this passage in John a little bit confusing also. But you have to read the entire thing to get the context of it. You know, when we typically think of word, what do we think of? We think of, I'm up here speaking words, aren't I? Right, I'm speaking words. Or it is the words written on a page. It's what we think of when we think of words. 
But the strong concordance defines John's use of word as used in this passage to de- as as divine expression that is of Christ. So he's the Strong's describes it as Christ. The word is referring to Jesus. The word is referring to the Son of God. It says the word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were created through Him. He was with God. Bears evidence of the plural. That there were the Father, the Son, I believe even the Holy Spirit. More than one. The King James Version says in verse 2, the same. It says the same was in the beginning with God. The Greek meaning of same is a masculine plural. So, Father, Son, in the beginning, from everlasting to everlasting. It's meaning that Christ, the Son of God, existed also before the world was created. It's important that we understand that. He was not a created being. He was and is God. The Word was God. It did not say that He was a God or like a God, but that the Word was God. Do you believe that, friends? That Jesus Christ is God, was God. John's intent here is to show that Christ is not inferior to the Father, but that they are equal. In John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, it says, And I have given them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. There is always complete unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One never tries to overpower the other. Nor is there ever conflict or division between them. They are always in agreement. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, that is also something that can be a little difficult for man to understand. Since we often struggle to have unity, don't we? I mean, look at our nation today. I have never seen our nation as divided as it appears to be right now. But not even looking at our nation. Look at sometimes how we get along with others. Do we always have 100% unity? We often struggle, don't we? Well, my friends, there's times that we even struggle to have unity within ourselves. Unity with our body, soul, and mind, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. There are times when the flesh lusts for something... In our minds, we know that it's not right. We shouldn't do it. But that desire of the flesh drives us to do it anyway. Come on, you've seen the little comic with the little angel sitting on this shoulder and the little devil sitting here, right? The little devil said, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and t- it'll feel good. Or it'll taste good. There's no harm in it. And the angel said, come on now, you know better than that. You know it's wrong, right? But oftentimes... We listen to the little devil over here on this shoulder instead of the little angel on the right shoulder trying to lead you to do the right thing. So sometimes we can't even have unity within ourselves. The Apostle Paul even struggled with that. In Romans 7, 18 and 19, 
He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. And the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Yeah. All right, I'm heads and nodding. Yeah, I've been there, done that, right? To fully understand the significance of what Christ did, we have to know that He did not come into existence when He was born in that manger in Bethlehem. It's important that we know that. But that He existed from the beginning. That He as the Father was and is divine. He is infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal past, present, future. Having no beginning and no end. That is Jesus. Verse 14 is the revelation of the most gracious and humble act of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christmas is not the beginning of the Son of God's existence. But it is beginning of His life in the flesh. Hallelujah. He became one of us. God incarnate, embodied in the flesh, in human form. What an amazing thing. That He chose, He chose to be incarnate. Chose to become a man. That's why it's important we understand that He was before. Think about how amazing this is. Christ was with His Father in glory. Always was. Friends, how many rich and wealthy people do you think would willingly give up everything they have, give up all their wealth, all their power, all their authority, then become poor? You might find a few. If the Lord calls them and they're faithful, they'll maybe give it up. But most, they're not going to give it up willingly. You know, most people are not poor by their choosing. They're poor because of some circumstance in their lives. They lost their job. They lost their family or whatever. They fell into some circumstance that caused them to be that way. But Christ chose to come in the most humble circumstances. He came into a dark world by choice. He came as a baby in a manger. When you read the book of Luke's description of Christ's coming, He came to a world that seemed to have no room for Him, didn't He? Born in the lowliest of circumstances. You know, we have our nice nativities, but in actuality, it was probably like a cave. Dirty, dark, smelly. He came in the most humble of circumstances into this world. He chose to allow Himself to become an infant, needing nursed by a mother, needed someone to take care of Him. He came to humble people. That's why this event changed the course of history. It was God doing Himself what man could not do. It brought hope where there was no hope. It brought light into a world filled with darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. John 1.4 said, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
I heard a message the other day, and he was speaking of rem, a painting of Rembrandt. Brian probably has seen it. And I actually Googled it, brought it up, and looked at it. Rembrandt painted an, a, a, his idea or portrait of the nativity. And when you look at the painting, all the people around the baby in the manger, in the crib, all everything around in the background and everything was kind of dark. But the Christ child in the manger, there was light emanating from the manger, from Christ. There wasn't light around shining down upon the baby, but it was light emanating from Christ, from the baby, from the infant. Light, His light has come into the world to be the light of men, not the other way around. He is the light, my friends, that come into the world. St. Augustine shared this in a sermon. The word of the Father, by whom all time was created, was made flesh and was born in time for us. He, without whose divine permission no day completes its course, wished to have one day for His human birth. In the bosom of His Father, He exited before all the cycles of ages. Born an earthly, of an earthly mother, he entered upon the course of the years on this day. The maker of man became man, that he, ruler of the stars, might be nourished at the breast, that he, the bread, might be hungry, that he, the fountain, might thirst, that he, the light, might sleep, that he, the way, may be wearied by the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses, that he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge, that he, justice, may be condemned by the unjust, that he, discipline, might be scourged with whips, that he, the foundation of the world, might be suspended upon the cross, that courage might be weakened, that security might be wounded, that life might die. To endure these and similar indignities for us, to free us, unworthy creatures. He who existed as a Son of God before all ages, without a beginning, designed to become the Son of Man in these recent years. He did this, although He who submitted to such great evils for our sake had done no evil. And although we, who were the recipients of so much good at His hands, had done nothing to merit these benefits. I think the ending is the most important. He who had done nothing deserving of the punishment that he endured, and we who had done nothing to merit the benefits that we received from him, the benefits of forgiveness of our sins. Remember last week I talked about why. Why keep the Sabbath? We know there's a lot of whys we could ask concerning Christmas. A lot of whys we could ask about why God would become man. Why would He take on the flesh? Why was it necessary? Why couldn't we just continue to offer the animal sacrifices? Again, we go back to the beginning. Way back to the beginning. After God created man and woman, we know that He placed them in the garden and He instructed them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, didn't He? One rule. One rule. You can eat of all the trees of the garden, 
except this one. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know they disobeyed. They disobeyed that one rule. You know, when you think about that, again, there they probably had that little devil on their shoulder. Oh, come on, go ahead and eat. It's going to taste so good. And surely you will not die. They, they listened to the little devil on the left shoulder instead of the right thing. But because of the disobedience, my friends, death and sin entered into the world. That very moment, death and sin did enter into the world. There needed to be a way to demonstrate to man the severity of sin. The consequences that come along with sin, that there is a cost when we rebel against God. So it created that separation, that gulf between God and man. That is why there had to be the shedding of blood to make the coverings to cover their nakedness, right? So with sin comes the shedding of blood. In Leviticus 4.35, it says, He shall remove all its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn on it the burn." Burn it on the altar, according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he, was, that he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. You know the problem, the why of the old sacrificial system? Was that it only brought a temporal means of atonement. It required the people to come year after year after year to offer atonement. My friends, Christ's coming is the new covenant, the new way. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year after year, make those who approach perfect. For then, they, yeah, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sin. See, there's the answer. They still had consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when He, Christ, came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin... You had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offering and and offerings for sins you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which you offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he might establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Friends, there's the answer. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus had to come in the flesh. He needed that body in order to shed His blood for our sins once and for all. To make a way that man could once again come into God Removing that great gulf between God and man. That is why He needed the body and He came for the sins. You know, there's a parable 
that Jesus speaks about this separation. It's a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 26. It says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. So what's that mean? Every day. You know, he called for, he called for his cupbearer, bring him his drink and pour his wine. He had someone to clean his house. He had someone to clean his clothes. He had someone to prepare his meals. He had many servants. He fared sumptuously. That's the word that needed help with right there. Sumptuously. Every single day. He wanted for nothing. Very wealthy man. But there was a beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. So he was laid at the gate that led into the rich man's estate every day desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by an angel to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those there pass to us. There is a great gulf between God and man when we are in our sins. But Christ removes that gulf between God and man that we can enter into God's presence. Then there is the why would He do it? Why would He come to earth in the humblest way and live His entire life in the shadow of the cross? My friends, I think I know the exact answer to that. And it's found in John 3.16. Actually, 16-21. through 21. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. The light has come into the world. He has come in the flesh. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You know, I heard an illustration a number of years ago. pastor shared this. That whether it was true or fictional, I don't know. But he said there was this druggie that smoked pot and someone gave him a Bible. And he says, you know, he says, I read Matthew. He says, and as I read it, I tore the pages out of it and smoked it. Then I read Mark, and I tore the pages out of it, and I smoked it. Meaning, you know, he 
rolled the pages up and put his marijuana in there and smoked it. He said, then I read Luke, he says, and I tore the pages out of it and I smoked it. He said, then I read John and it smoked me. It smoked me. My friends, John is such an amazing, wonderful book. Describes how to have that intimate, personal relationship with God. The importance of God sent His Son. That His Son became flesh. In Him is the life. In Him is the light. John will smoke you. John is the book that if a new believer, someone who just accepted Christ, read the book of John first. Understand how to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The life of God. There was a book written by Henry Sogel called The Life of God in the Soul. He was a 17th century Scottish minister and he said this, God hath long contended with a stubborn world and thrown down many a blessings upon them. And when all his other gifts could not prevail, he at last made a gift of himself. My friends, there's Christmas. God made a gift of himself. Amen? How true that is. How true that is. You know, we love to give gifts at Christmas time, don't we? Christmas time is, should be a generous time of year. We, we, we are generous towards others. We give them gifts to express our love for them, that we care about them. And you know, <clears throat> has anyone ever heard of regifting? Yeah. yeah, come on now, what's regifting? You get that gift, <laughs> fruitcakes. You get that gift, and you and you go, oh, it is so, it is so pretty. Thank you. Oh, I, I, thank you so much. Thank you for your your generosity. Thank you for caring about me. And you take it home, and on, or maybe on the way home, you're like, oh, that is ridiculous. That thing is so gaudy. Oh, I already have one of those. Or, you know, whatever the reason may be, you think, I know what I'll do. I'll re-gift it. I'll just pass it along to somebody else. And, you know, I'm not going to get into whether that is right or wrong to re-gift. That's not the issue. But I will tell you about a gift that is always right to re-gift. The message of the cross. Jesus Christ. The gift that God gave us. The gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, is always right to re-gift. Friends, He didn't give it for us just to keep for ourselves. He gave it to us to share with others, to re-gift it to others. Always re-gift it. Always tell others of the amazing gift of God becoming flesh to save us from our sins. The amazing thing is, we can re-gift it and still keep it. Amen? You re-gift it this Christmas and you still keep it for yourself. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's re-gift it. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Christmas is a gift from God. It is Son, Jesus Christ, saying, Yes, I will take on flesh. He lived His life on this earth, as I said, in the shadow of the cross. He came to save man from their sins. Why He came? My friends, why did He come? It's one word, please tell me. Love. Love came down on that first Christmas morning. Or night, whichever time of day it was. It was night because the shepherds were out in the field. Love came down. Friends, that is Christmas. 
And please, let's re-gift that. Let's re-gift His love this Christmas season. Amen?